Support for Boat Talk also comes from Front Street Shipyard, a Midcoast, Maine boat building, repair, and storage facility located in Belfast. Front Street Shipyard on Penobscot Bay, offering dockage, service, and amenities for owners, captains, and crew. Online at frontstreetshipyard.com or 930-3740. The time's 10.01, and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your host, Mike Joyce, and hopefully Alan Sprague is up next. Good morning. It's the second Tuesday of the month. Makes it the time for boat talk. And we are coming along this morning solo so far. Alan Sprague hopefully on the road on his way. I did speak to him this morning. Kind of expect him. You ever see that far side cartoon where the elephant is sitting at the piano? And uh, he's thinking, this is my nightmare. I can't play this thing. I'm a flute player. And uh, Alan always opens the program and always opens the program with a pun. And uh, I would be completely unable to come up with one, even with probably a month's notice. So there will be no pun so far to get Boat Talk going this morning. Alan's probably out on the road. It's no big deal. Uh, we organized Boat Talk fairly loosely. Tell you the truth, we had uh, two or three different plans this morning before we settled on the one that may or may not be happening at the present time. Uh, let me give you the phone number, too. 1-866-625-9378. We answer the phone uh, whenever it rings at Boat Talk. We have no uh, big fixed agenda, but a couple of things to talk about this morning. And uh, always interrupt ourselves for anybody that's interested or brave enough to call. And again, one 625 9378 This morning we're going to talk to, uh, oh, uh, Jeremy from, uh, oh, down to the Bath area. Jeremy's volunteer on the Virginia, the rebuilding Maine's first ship. Virginia was the escape pod for the Popham colony back in, uh, oh, I believe it was 1607, 1608 back then. Also, it turns out that... Uh, Alan Sprague and I read the same book, which is a little bit rare, and we uh, happened on this kind of fortuitously, and it's a good one, too, and it's got a great local angle on it. Hampton Sides is the author, and uh, the book is called In the Kingdom of Ice, The Grand and Terrible Polar Journey of the USS Jeanette, and uh, this was a polar expedition of the USS Navy and the guy from the New York Herald. Back in, uh, oh, 1879, 18, early 1880s. And, uh, oh, they had kind of a hard time saving themselves. And, and uh, some of them lived. And the uh, last fella who survived that thing was uh, Herbert Leach, who uh, was just a regular seaman on, on the uh, voyage. And it turned out that Herbert was from Penobscot, Maine. So anyway, we'll read you a little bit from In the Kingdom of Ice this morning. Talk about Herbert Leach and uh, Virginia. But always interested in, uh, like I say, uh, 
whoever's out there and what they're thinking, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. There's a couple of things in the news. The most interesting one to me was uh, did anybody uh, – you got to see it on TV. Security cameras are everywhere nowadays, and the breakwater in Eastport, Maine, collapsed the other night. In the middle of the night, just let go. And as the uh, earthen breakwater let go, it kind of made a little, uh, uh, you know, landslide uh, slash tidal wave and took out a couple of boats, including a pilot boat for the harbor there and a schooner that does uh, local tours, and I'm not sure exactly it was the lore that uh, was smucked. Now, I just turned down a delivery of a schooner from uh, New York City to Eastport early November. Uh, Butch Harris owns this. It's been given tours for the Statue of Liberty. I didn't know if the boys got the uh, boat all the way down to Eastport, and then it got smucked by the dock, but the Eastport Breakwater uh, built years ago, and what they did was uh, put in steel bulkheads and filled it with earth over the years i believe the metal has rotted out things shift around a little bit and uh you know in the middle of the night heard a little creaking noise there was a fellow sleeping on the schooner i believe he heard uh creaking noise and jumped up but wasn't in time to uh completely clear the area before the thing all fell apart and interestingly enough uh, we spoke last month on boat talk the uh, penobscot East Resource Center and the town of Stonington are collaborating on a plan for uh, infrastructure and the effects of global warming and specifically some of these big storms that we'd be uh, seeming to have more and more uh, vigorous and kind of stupid all the time. And the idea being that that breakwater is not in good shape, even on a fairly calm night. How about on a rip-roaring storm night? And uh, what will be the price for, again, keeping this stuff together, putting it back together, and Alan Sprague just showed up. <laughs> hey, Mike. Morning, Alan. Where were, where were you? What were you doing? Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, I slept late, I guess, is the first excuse. Yeah. yeah. Cloudy morning. Yeah. I usually get up with a light. This time of the year, there isn't much light. This time of the year um, is when boating around here starts to go on the skids. There's your pun. There you go. I was and, uh, oh, I was just uh, sitting here waiting for it, buddy. What yeah. can I tell you? But uh, what, sun's up now at, at just before 7 o'clock and down like 4 o'clock or so. It's, uh, you know, like a nine-hour uh, light day and uh, about as short as it gets coming up here uh, on the 21st. But, again, uh, you know, the light will be coming back. There's always hope. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, we were talking about the Eastport breakwater there. Yeah, uh, just collapsing, and it brings up, I think, uh, a bit of a, a um, interesting sidelight about infrastructure, and that collapsed on a calm night. Yeah, uh, did you see how it was built on TV? It's just a, a vertical steel wall with backfill, fill in behind it. Sure, it seems uh, worked pretty good in the day. Unstable to me, anyway. Well, again, um, you know. Um, my one of my mottos as a boat builder is you need to shed water like a duck. If you uh, absorb water, you're going to die an ugly, rotten death. Mm -hmm. And that steel in the ground there is rusting yeah. from the minute it goes in. It's not going to last forever. Well, yeah, and it's not I mean, that far known. down into the ground really either. There's yeah. not a lot of purchase on the top. Oh, and, and again, um, um, let's see, air getting at it is uh, good or bad. I guess this uh, makes it worse. But again, it's known that it's just not going to last forever. And uh, infrastructure needs upkeep 
and our roads. Uh, we talked about the road down to Stonyton as well. They couldn't get the fire truck going more than 10 miles an hour last winter. The the uh, frost eaves are so bad. <laughs> and again, the uh, the end of the pier down there on the east end of town floods on, on big tides and, uh, you know. Um, oh, yeah, I'm sure that water, that fill in there is saturated most of the time. Yeah, right? and, the, and the issue is uh, not only what's going to happen just over the accumulation of ordinary time, but how about... Uh, you know, disordinary time with so bad storms. So it brings up the question, how many other uh, breakwaters like that are uh, ticking away? Just what I'm saying. Yeah. Exactly right. Well, I'm uh, so glad Alan showed up this morning. We're still doing Boat Talk. one 625 the phone number here. And uh, we got a couple of uh, uh, other things to talk about, but uh, was also uh, kind of tempted to talk about this. Now, uh, I... You know, um, realize that this audience is kind of, uh, uh, what would you call it, peace-oriented, I guess you would call it. i got to step out again. I'm you do whatever you got to do. And uh, so anyway, this is about uh, stealth destroyers being built down to Bath Ironworks in uh, uh, Bath. And the reason I mention this is that the paper uh, mill just down the road here in Bucksport, Maine, was due to close just the other day, December 1st. They... Uh, are still employing people there to the end of the year. I thought I heard an item today. It's possibly been sold. I uh, don't have the details on that. But um, what I did hear, just talking to people around, is that uh, Bath Ironworks is hiring. You know, and if you're losing your job at the paper mill, uh, they would kind of look at you down there. And and uh, according to the Bangor Daily News, the U.S. Navy has awarded Bath Ironworks a thirty-two and a half million dollar contract modification to perform technical and industrial engineering work on the future USS Michael Monsoor, second Zumwalt-class destroyer at the Bath Shipyard. And uh, Bath Ironworks is building three DDG-1000s for the U.S. Navy, which truncated the line after deeming construction costs to be too high. The DDG-1001 is scheduled for delivery to the Navy in early 2015, the third destroyer will be named the U.S. Lyndon B. Johnson due in 2018. And think of that what you will, uh, geopolitically, uh, money-wise, but I'm telling you there's some jobs down there is, is uh, what I've heard and why we mentioned it. So, so you with the program now? Oh, boy. Literally, that, that kind of, really that little is. pun works today, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kingdom of the Ice is a really good book. I, I came across it because my wife read it first, and she handed it over to me before it was due to be returned. Just barely made it on the due date because it's a new book, and there was people waiting for it. So, I have kept this and renewed it unconscionably long. I don't want to give it back to the library. It is that good. And uh, Hampton Sides, uh, as a brand-new book, uh, In the Kingdom of Ice, will... Uh, Talk about that in a little bit here, and, and again, uh, features a uh, local hero, Herbert Leach, who uh, will read you his letter home to mother from northern Siberia and, yeah. uh, you know, tell about his travails and stuff. And I've uh, been talking to some local people over to the Penobscot Historical uh, slash Ca uh, Wilson Museum down in Castine about old Herbert, too. So mm -hmm. uh, pretty well-known story in the area. Anyhow. We are doing Boat Talk this morning. One more time we'll mention the phone number, and then we'll maybe give a call out to uh, our friend Jeremy Blaylock, who is with uh, the uh, Virginia uh, U.S., uh, I'm sorry, uh, Maine's first ship. Maine's being first ship, Rebuilt yes. down to Bath. 
Yep. And uh, it's an interesting website, too. Lots of good pictures there, mainsfirstship.org. Well, I was talking with uh, uh, Jeremy and also um, uh, another fellow, Jay um, Coffee, this morning about it's one job to build the boat, get volunteers being built by volunteers uh, to imagine the thing, to organize it, to get the volunteers to do it. But you can't be having a, a secret boat building party. Um, publicity is just as important as, you know, framing and planking a boat, mm-hmm. um, especially something like this, which has a, a meaning and a purpose. And uh, you've got to share it with people and you never know when you put it out there, who will tweak on what? That's true. Yeah. yeah. You don't know. <laughs> Whose imagination gets going. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What kind of help you're going to get and yeah. what kind of boss you're going to be, I suppose, too. Well, and uh, in this case, we'll be talking about hackmatack knees in, in a couple minutes here. And, again, there's, uh, you know, some in the ground somewhere that need to be dug out. But uh, I'm thinking there's some in somebody's barn somewhere all covered up with dust and there junk. May, and there may be. Yeah, need to be freed up. And, and again, wow. you never know what little uh, bits will, uh, uh, you know, impact and, and uh, tweak on somebody. We should probably explain what hackmatack knees are. It's not a medical condition. Um Hackmatack is a name for a tree around here, also known as tamarack or larch. It's a conifer that actually drops its needles in the wintertime. But uh, the roots, uh, you imagine the tree going down into the ground, the roots make more or less of a 90-degree turn in the ground, and those fairly large roots are what dug up and cut up to be a, a right-angle brace as, as you know, connects the top of the top edge of the hull to the uh, outside edge of the deck on the underside. Yeah, because getting to uh, make wood at 90 degrees to itself is quite a process pretty, pretty for tricky. for woodworkers. Yes, we spend a lot of time trying to join wood at 90 degrees. And uh, there's so many different ways to do it, but if it grows that Mother way nature. around a 90-degree corner, nature, um, especially yes. the root, which is down in the ground, is just extra tough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's your... Uh, that's your good bracing you're going to get there. And as I was joking to them uh, earlier, they're not going to be laminating those out of epoxy on Maine's first ship uh, replication <laughs> rebuild there. But we'll talk about uh, tools and techniques as soon as we get somebody on the phone there. Can't quite tell what's happening in the wheelhouse well, there. Well, while we're talking about Maine built ships and volunteer workers and all sorts of stuff, I have a news for you. Um, Raw Faith is coming around again. Raw Faith the movie. Um, just has had a musical score added to it. Two musicians down in southern Maine have uh, worked up a, a, a musical score to go along with Raw Faith, the movie. You know what, Alan? I forget almost all the time that I'm a movie star. <laughs> just because your name is mentioned, I would not think... Mention, man. We're, we're the stars of that movie, okay? Um, Raw Faith, a family saga uh, made by our friend Greg... Uh, Greg Rasco. Uh, Greg Rasco, yeah, yeah, down in Falmouth, Maine. Um, um, framed the movie around uh, Boat Talk commentary. It opens with Boat Talk, uh, people talking about raw faith, uh, and, and we have voiceovers that reoccur through the film. And as uh, somebody said, the, the climax uh, to the uh, thing was when I said one time that, you know, I was talking to George, and I says, well, just because a boat has changed your life doesn't mean it's changed your wife's life. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and again, it's a family saga there, and and those are fairly true words. And yeah. So they've added a score, and, and again, a movie star. Yeah. I haven't heard it, but I would like to now, yes. Not real tongue-in-cheek. Raw Faith, the musical. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever I lent my last copy out to, I'd like it back. Matter of fact, I might have lent your last copy out to somebody uh, yeah, as well. Yeah, I'm missing it um, now, You too. still have one, too? Well, no, that's no. the hard thing about being in a movie. You want everybody to see it, so yeah. you want to pass it out. And Well, you can get it online now, too, though. Uh, Raw Faith Movie. Dot com, Raw Faith Movie, because there's another book or story of, of entitled Raw Faith um, about some woman or some missionary. The genius of this, Alan, is, too, that uh, we got to be in the movie, but uh, as radio guys, you know, we didn't mess up the movie with our... Yeah. Like say, we, you know, <laughs> camera camera ready, would we be cast as, you know, probably not, no. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, it's good that they just give us the voiceover. So yes, movie star, but it didn't have to show the face, so to speak. He's and, trying to get some funding together to uh, show it on PBS. PBS said that they would show it, but you have to, be wonderful. You have to pay your own ticket, I guess. Well, isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah it would be wonderful. Um, yeah, uh, they've been doing some real interesting stuff lately, as a matter of fact. The um, uh, create uh, the PBS has organized their uh, channels into uh, over the, over the air TV. They've organized the channels into um, a couple of uh, uh, different channels. Where one is called the Create Channel. It's mostly how tos. They have um, a bunch of cooking shows, some travel shows, some woodworking shows. What they don't have, Alan, is this old boat. Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's true. And when I think about that, I think we can't be on TV. Yeah. Come on, yeah. you know. But anyway, the phone's ringing, isn't it? Okay, we have yes, we have a person on the phone. So let's our guest is on. You, yes. Uh, good morning, Jeremy. You there? I sure am. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Where are you at this morning, Jeremy? I live in Rousick, which is right across the Kennebec River from Bath. Down to Bath. Yeah. And you're a volunteer on the Virginia, which is a recreation of the Popham Colony's escape pod uh, well, ship. Tell us something about it. Yeah, it wasn't actually built as an escape pod because when they started, they didn't know they were leaving so fast. But <laughs> they were, uh, you know, they needed a small utility vessel to go up and down the coast uh, exploring and trading and, you know, looking for that Northwest Passage and all. So uh, they built, started building this thing, and they got it done in... Uh, probably eight months, which is amazing for being in the wilderness. Do you have any idea how many people it took to make that in eight months? Well, we don't have any record of who was actually working on it. They started out with about 100 colonists, but half of them went home uh, within uh, like five months Mm. when it became obvious they weren't going to have enough food for everybody over the winter. And then they launched it the following spring. So... We have no idea who actually worked on the ship because they were building a fort and exploring and trading and doing all those other things at the same time. Let's go back to one of my favorite ideas as a, a sailor, you know, uh, up and down this coast, uh, you know, with the buoys and the nice charts and the zoom out button on the GPS. Imagine you showed up here in 1607 or 1608 and uh, it's all for the taking. Apparently there's some natives here, but basically you can move in anywhere you want. And uh, how do you know the good spot? Well, there was a number of explorations in the decades previous that sort of mapped out the area, and they the, the, the earlier one, which was just two or three years earlier, was George Weymouth, I believe, and he actually uh, kidnapped some natives <laughs> and brought them back to England with him. 
who then traveled widely, and one of them was able to say to the Pilgrims years later, hey, Pilgrims, how's it hanging? Because he'd, he'd been uh, to England and Spain and back through Newfoundland and, you know, right, made quite right. an odyssey, yeah. Yeah, so, so that exploration had scoped out a couple of places that they thought might be a good place for a colony. Yeah. Having uh, been down where the Popham Colony is, I wouldn't, uh, you know, have chose that spot myself <laughs> anymore, and I would have chose St. Croix Island for the people that wintered over there in, in the middle of the ice-choked island down east there and had a hard time surviving. Um, and, again, they come up a little bit short. Yeah, well, I don't think they really realized how bad the winters were going to be either. I mean, being from England and all, it's a much milder climate. So. Yeah. So anyway, you you folks are uh, uh, rebuilding this uh, uh, boat, the Virginia. You've got a, uh, a shed down to the main maritime uh, museum? Yeah, yeah. We have a big uh, bow shed with uh, greenhouse plastic on it. It's not at the museum, though. It's uh, up the river a little bit, right by the bridge that goes across the Kennebec River, um, which is interesting. It's, it's literally right across the bridge from Bath Ironworks. So nice. Have, you know, 400-plus years of shipbuilding history. And encapsulated right in those sites. Nice. And being uh, built by volunteers, Jeremy, tell us about the crew you get. Yeah, we have, I mean, we have 70 or 80 people signed up who come periodically. Every Wednesday and Saturday, we get about a dozen folks uh, coming to actually work, uh, which is a, it's a good number. We don't have room for a huge amount more, actually, just to fit in the shed and work. But <laughs> um, So they're mostly retired folks. But uh, we have people like myself who are self-employed, too, who can sneak in a day here and there. Nice. Yeah. And uh, as you were telling me earlier, the shed's got a good big wood stove in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. We do manage to stay fairly comfortable in the winter. Um, about 3 o'clock, when the sun goes down behind the other buildings, <laughs> it cools right off in there because it is a greenhouse. But uh, we do all right, yeah. And the ship is in frame right now. What, what Tell us about uh, where we're at. Yeah, we've got 99% all framed out and fared. Uh, we have uh, just a couple little frames way aft next to the transom that we need to put in, which we never lofted because they were. we sort of reworked the whole back end of the ship um, as we were building it. So we're going to just put ribbands up and take patterns off of those for the last two frames that are right at the transom. But we should... We should be getting through those two frames this month, and uh, I think we can probably put a plank on sometime in January. Cool. A ship like that, of course, didn't have a uh, finely lofted, uh, computer-corrected set of line plans, you know. It was built, uh, you know, by by eye, basically. Uh, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. To, uh, how, are you, how are you fearing them? Are you using power tools? And oh, yeah, of course. Oh, good, good. Yeah, yeah, we... we we do mess around with an ad every now and then when we <laughs> are feeling uh, the urge, but it's mostly uh, good old Makita power planes. Uh -huh. Well, we can't talk about this without mentioning Fuddocks. Oh, excuse you. Yes. <laughs> Boat builders get to say some of the greatest stuff, you know. Uh -huh. You're you, uh, you building them with Fuddocks? Yes, it was, it's a double Fuddock construction, uh -huh. uh, which is to, mostly to make the Coast Guard happy. The original probably would have been single fuddock, um, which would they just be overlapping at the ends, and yeah. they would have planked and framed simultaneously from the keel up. 
Well, this this boat building process really is is a visual thing, and I'm I'm sure you have a website with lots of pictures, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Our website is mfship.org, and that has videos and pictures and all sorts of background information on the history. And we also have a Facebook page, which tends to have the latest and greatest photos on it. Got a note from you, Jeremy, that the uh, reason we're talking to you this morning, uh, you need some knees. Yeah, we were, we were thinking since this is Maine's first ship and not just like Bath's first ship, we wanted to get some wood in the ship from every county in the state. So since white oak doesn't really grow all over the state, uh, we thought, well, Hackmatack probably does grow in most of the counties, if not all of them. So we were hoping to get a knee or a stump or something from every part of the state so we can uh, truly make this Maine's first ship. Well, maybe somebody's out there and they got some, some uh, knees in the corner of the barn. They might not even know what they're good for. Yeah. And, again, we need to free that up somehow and get people uh, imagineering on, on uh, Virginia. Yeah, that would be great. I yeah. mean, we have... 60-plus uh, knees that we need to put in this ship. Wow. Um, There's but, only 13 co- uh, thirteen uh, counties, so we're going to have to double up somewhere. Well, right, yeah, yeah. Um, and most of them will need to be four inches thick, I believe. Oh, that's fairly small, really. Yeah, yeah. We, have, we have a couple big eight-inch thick ones. but How big's the boat, more or less? Uh, 51 feet long and uh, 14 wide. And uh, be rigged, uh, what, with two masts? Yeah, it has two masts. Um, the main mast is actually a giant sprit sail, and the mizzen mast is a latine. Cool. Well, Jeremy, keep her going. All right. Um, do my best. The public, uh, you know, if they're driving down Route 1 and spot your bow shed uh, from the bridge there, uh, you know, Welcome to stop in on, what was it, Saturdays and Tuesdays were your uh, building days? Wednesdays and Saturdays. Wednesdays yeah. and Saturdays, yeah. yeah. And, uh, normally, if, if we're in there, we uh, replace Old Glory with the flag of St. George, which is the red and white cross. Come on down. Yeah, so nice. that flag is fine. We're there. Nice. Well, thanks for speaking with us this morning, Jeremy, and we'll keep in touch. All right. Thank yeah. you. Enjoy Good morning. It. Thank you, Jerry. Um, we have another phone call, I believe, right on the line. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Oh, good, good morning. You're on Boat Talk. Hello, Derv. You there? Good morning, Alan. Ah, David. Yeah. Good I morning, am. David. Yeah, glad you're there. And isn't this one, wonderful? We're uh, definitely into the Internet age now. Uh, where are you at? I am in Ongaray, New Zealand. New Zealand, talking live on Boat Talk. We thought it was cool. The other fellow was in a Rosick, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck are you doing down in New Zealand, Dave? Jeez, I'm having a great time. Having a great time. This is a great spot down here. I'd uh, I'd be right at the top of the list for the New Zealand Tourist Board. It's uh, a lot of fun. That's what fun. I've heard from everybody that's been down that way. Yeah, it's a uh, uh, lot, uh, lot to do, and uh, people have great attitudes. A lot of boats here. Uh, boating is a big deal here in New Zealand. Uh, a lot of excellent uh, boat work that goes on. Uh, beautiful places to cruise. It's uh, it's a great spot. All right. So, so speaking of boats, why don't you uh, give us a little brief story of how you got there? Uh, brief story. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll try to make it brief. Uh, 
three years ago, a little over three years ago, I bought uh, rewa, which, by the way, is a New Zealand word, uh, as it turns out. Um, it means uh, it's a, it's also Sanskrit word. It means new beginning. And so it was sort of that for me. And I sailed off from Maine uh, the day after the first snowstorm on Halloween of 2011 and sailed down through the Caribbean and across uh, the northern part of South America over to Panama and through the canal and off to the Galapagos and over to French Polynesia and uh, Tonga and now three years, 17,500 miles later, I find myself here in uh, New Zealand. Wow, you're not, uh, I take it, aim, uh, wandless, uh, aiming, I'm sorry, wandering aimlessly. Uh, you have a plan, Dave? Well, I, I don't really want to think of it as wandering aimlessly, uh, but no, I don't really have a plan. We're not on uh, a schedule, but are we uh, on a circumnavigation? No, not really. Uh, I'd been to the South Pacific. I'd sailed in the South Pacific when I was in my 20s. Um, uh, you might remember that actually from uh, when I came back and worked at, when we worked at English together. Right. And uh, so I had always wanted to come back to this uh, part of the world. And uh, it's interesting to see the changes uh, that the cruising population has had, the influence of the cruising population on some of these more remote areas. It's been uh, interesting to go to these places again 30 years later and see how they've changed, principally uh, because, you know, from the cruising perspective uh but the south pacific is uh you know has a lot of romance and uh and uh you know excitement to it and uh i'm just enjoying being in this area uh i don't really have an interest in sailing around the world per se but uh we're exploring uh remote uh places that probably won't exist 30 years from now so uh uh, I don't have a particular goal. I'll, I'll be here for six months, and then I'll go up to Fiji, and I'll spend uh, next uh, winter, as they would say here, summer for the northern hemisphere, but winter for down here. Spend next winter up in the Fiji area, and then I'll come back to New Zealand, uh, and then uh, you know go back and forth uh, for the next couple of years, probably. Nice. Facing myself on New Zealand. Tell us about the boat. Rewa was uh, built in 1968 by Abba King and Rasmussen. She's a 65-foot aluminum centerboard, center cockpit uh, catch. Uh, she is uh, she's kind of a period boat. She's typical of the design of that area, sort of a motor sailor style, uh, i.e., you know, meaning a, a raised uh, main salon, which is nice. You can look outside and see the day going by. It's uh, quite a nice liveaboard boat. Uh, She's uh, an excellent uh, cruiser. It's just perfect for what it is I'm doing with it. Uh, she uh, carries a lot of fuel and a lot of water and is a very comfortable boat. She weighs 50 ton, so she's a very heavy boat, but it gives her a, a great sea motion. She's uh, an excellent sailing boat. She's not really a light air boat, but uh, uh, she uh, sails like a dream and uh, great for what she's, uh, you know, for this kind of sailing. And built out of aluminum, solid as a rock. Solid as a rock. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, as I say, not really a light air boat, but, uh, you know, 15 knots of breeze, uh, you know, I'll scoot along at, uh, you know, 
eight nine knots. So it's uh, you know it's a good sailing boat. It's cable steering, so you, you know you feel the wheel. It's not too many boats this size now are with hydraulic steering, and you don't really have the feel of the boat with hydraulic steering. So it's you know sort of um, you know the sports car feel and the in the Rolls Royce size. So it's uh, she's a great boat, great boat for what I'm doing. I can imagine a, a couple of doldrum days. You seen any storms, Dave? No, I generally try to avoid them. Good uh, man. Uh, <laughs> there's really, I mean, for, uh, for what there is for electronics and uh, information about weather these days, uh, uh, you really, you know, you have to kind of not be paying attention to get yourself caught up in something too awful bad. Uh, Long passages, uh, you know, you can't predict the weather, you know, more than a week out per se, but uh, in terms of any major stuff. And that is also uh, being said uh, of being tropical sailing where the weather is much more predictable. Uh, you get into the higher latitudes and, you know, the movement of fronts and, uh, and such is much, certainly a much less predictable uh, uh, main weather, you know, being what it is, of course. And uh, that starts to happen down here in New Zealand as you get farther, farther south. But uh, the type of sailing I've been doing in the tropics is pretty, pretty predictable. Nice attitudes. Just talking to my uh, buddy, Captain Sonny Perkins, recently about uh, favorite spots around the world. He mentioned uh, uh, Christchurch, New Zealand, especially dramatic. He liked the people and the place. The uh, ecology is is kind of otherworldly. Got to be from a fellow from from New England, isn't it? Well, it's. Uh, I was uh, uh, at a place called Wahiki, which is an island in uh, in, in the bay where Auckland is. Uh, and uh, my daughter was visiting. We were sitting there in a little restaurant having a cup of coffee, looking out over the scene. We both commented to each other, this could be Maine. It, uh, the weather was a little bit different. Maybe it wasn't quite you know, foggy for the time of year, but uh, it uh, bold, rocky coast, and uh, it, 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 a bunch of little islands. I mean, you could have been looking out across uh, Blue Hill Bay. It was kind of, kind of interesting that way. Yeah. Well, speaking of ecology, David, um Talk about uh, swimming with sharks. Jeez, I'll tell you, you know, one of the things that, that is certainly an appeal to me in doing what I'm doing is uh, warm weather, warm water to be swimming in. I, uh, <laughs> for all the years, you know, 40 years of living in Maine, I only swam in the ocean twice. Um, so it's, all, it's, it's a whole world underneath, you know, three-fifths of the planet is underwater, right? So uh, a whole other world exists uh, down there, and the most bizarre science fiction writer couldn't come up with what you see uh, for uh, for life under the sea. And uh, uh, Galapagos, for example, just comes to mind right off. Uh, uh, spent a bit of time diving with uh, huge mantas. I mean, stuff that's 15 feet across, uh, manta rays. Uh, a school of 10, 15 hammerhead sharks just swimming right over top of you. It's it's just phenomenal. Uh, in um, there's a place in the Tuamotu's uh, called Fakarava. Uh, it is a world heritage place that just has the most incredible diving. You can swim with a school of uh, black tip sharks, schools of 50, 60 sharks swimming around you, uh, going through the South Pass in Fakarava. How big are the uh, sharks? They're not a very big shark, uh, and they're really quite tame. You know, you, you talk about sharks and people's uh, the hair on the back of their neck sort of goes up. Yeah. You know, think of the movie Jaws. 
Um, there are obviously some very dangerous species, but by and large, uh, they, uh, you're not in their food chain. You know, they don't normally eat things with big metal tanks on the back of them. So, uh, uh, if, you know, if you're in a harbor, uh, you know, they're, they're looking for scavenge and stuff and you might get, you know, bit uh, surfers, of course, in certain situations, but, uh, by and large sharks won't bother you. Uh, other sharks off of, uh, Bora Bora swam with some, uh, Lemon sharks out there, they're probably eight feet long. I mean, bigger than me, uh, for sure. Uh, they're kind of intimidating. Um, but uh, it's, uh, you know, it's just such a bizarre world down there for what you see. Uh, undescribable. So octopus are, you know, always fun to watch and poke at. And uh, uh, their coral reefs are uh, amazing. I mean, it's amazing how much of that's being lost. I mean, that is something for the world to pay attention to, the rate of loss. Of uh, of the coral is uh, uh, unnerving. You're seeing a so, lot of a lot of bleaching there. Uh, bleaching is just uh, general destruction from uh, acidity. Uh, uh-huh. And and again, comparing uh, what I saw 30 years ago when I did when I went to Australia that time. It is. I, I feel the same way. I see changes here in the 30 years I've been going to see. The 30 years is not a long time, Dave, for us to notice changes, you know, which yeah. is kind of uh, uh, attention getting right there. What a wonderful world, though. Who are you traveling with? And uh, uh, there's got to be a, a voyage of exploration with people, too, isn't it? Well, uh, one of the great things about this kind of sailing is uh, the people you, you meet and you run into. And uh, it is a... Uh, uh, it's an interesting crowd. The people that uh, that do this kind of, you know, extreme cruising, you might call it. Uh, in terms of my own personal single uh, uh, handing the boat, uh, I get crew for long passages, uh, but uh, for most of the time, I've uh, been single handing the boat. Uh, and uh, but uh, the people you meet along the way. Uh, uh, you know, you, you see these reality TV shows. I can't believe there isn't a reality TV show out there about sailing. I mean, what a perfect subject matter for it. I agree. We were uh, just talking earlier how uh, we need this old boat on the uh, this old house channel, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, would, uh, no brainer. But, uh, yeah, I mean, all kinds of people from all kinds of walks on. You know, one thing that surprises me is how many young people there are out here doing this with young kids. And I mean babies. I had... Uh, uh, huh. some drinks with a couple that are next to me that, uh, geez, their, uh, youngest is probably four months old and the oldest is, you know, eight years old, maybe, um, you know, cruisers with kids is uh, a surprising number of them, but it's a very international crowd, people from all over. I mean, you sit around and have a beer with people. You got probably five, six different nationalities sitting there at the table. Uh, so that's, that's fun. Is uh, English the most common language? It's the, it's the common language, yes. Um, the non-English uh, probably would be, uh, French would be the next common language. Most Europeans would know, most most people would know English to some extent. Mm-hmm. If they don't know English, then French would be the next thing that they would know. Um, and, uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of having a, a group of people sit around, English would be the, the common language that people would speak, yeah. Dave, weather's been stupid down here. Uh, 
coming up on the shortest day of the year. We've already had a couple blizzards, you know, and and uh, keeps getting cold and warm and and just kind of stupid. Now you're on the other side of the earth, up upside down, literally. What's the weather like? She's well, it's summer. I know. It's, uh, uh, it's summer and uh, coming around to the longest day of the year is the right, light. right. Uh, uh, 8.30, 9 o'clock last night. Uh, if you weren't upside down on your head, you could probably enjoy it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it is uh, it is also 4 o'clock in the morning here, or 3.30, whatever time. Oh, morning. thanks, man. Wow. <laughs> I wondered how you could. So, uh, you know, I had to get up special for this phone call. Thanks. But, is, it, uh, is it Wednesday? The advantage is you're, you're talking to the future here, right? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Tomorrow. Yeah, we're talking to tomorrow already. <laughs> Blow my mind in, in a lot of ways. We're talking to a friend. I'm sorry. It is summertime. It is summertime here. And uh, although I just, uh, as I said, my daughter was here visiting. We went driving around the North Island, and I went down to. So this is where Lord of the Rings was filmed. Right? Yeah. And went down to uh, look at uh, Mount Doom and uh, Modor and all that. So went to the Hobbit Town. That was a very cool place. Uh, but there's snow. They just closed the uh, the, the. That was a bad pop. That was a that was not yeah. a good sound. We're yeah. talking to our friend David Irving this morning, uh, known uh, uh, locally to uh, lots of folks as Derv, and and uh, Dave was a uh, service manager down the Hinkley Company uh, years ago when Alan and I uh, used to uh, work for him and first uh, met him, you know, and he is uh, single-handed cruising his boat uh, in the Pacific nowadays and, and called from New Zealand this morning. So uh, glad to speak to him, too. Sorry we got cut off like that. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. He can go have a nap. He's going to send me some pictures by email, so we'll put up some pictures of, uh, of his boat and various whatever else he sends uh, on our boattalk.org website. Yeah. And we are, once again, doing Boat Talk this morning, if you haven't figured it out more or less anyway. The number here, one 625 9378 We're still threatening to talk about our friend Herbert Leach here from uh, the uh, Arctic Expedition. Jeanette, see the phone ringing there. Now, let me preface this with in the uh, 1880s, uh, 1870s or so, the map was filling in rather rapidly, and we're running out of blank spaces. And uh, the Arctic had not been conquered yet. Nobody had, had got to the North Pole, and uh, there were a lot of people ambitious and wondering. Now, a theory at the time was that having nobody ever been there before, perhaps, um, you know, uh, what could what could the North Pole be like? Some people thought it was an open uh, open, warm sea, open warm sea, yeah, with fantastic creatures <laughs> and such, there, right? yeah. yeah. But no. um, what's happening yeah. on the phone there? Yeah, we do have uh, David Irvin back. From oh, we'll take him. New Zealand, we'll take him. Welcome Hi. back, Derv. Hey, hey. Sorry, a little hiccup in technology there. Yeah, it's a miracle, Dave. <laughs> Let's just uh, have that up front. Really quite amazing that a little piece of plastic. I'm holding on to a little piece of plastic that's got a tiny bit of metal in it, and an infinitely small little battery, and you can talk to somebody on the other side of the planet. It really is amazing. Well, the other thing that blows my mind, Dave, is that um, uh, we can go down to the harbor here, and literally we're on the road to uh, we abut New Zealand on the water, literally. 
I suppose that's true too. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the way the world is is uh, you know found itself and and traditionally communicated was was first by water, and again now yeah. by that little plastic uh, wooby doo everybody carries in their pockets. And and again we're talking to our friend David Irving down in where in in uh, New Zealand. It would be on the North Island. I'm on the North Island, about a third of the way down from the top. Uh, on the eastern side, a place called Pongaree. Pongaree. It's uh, between Auckland and the northern tip. Now, is that typhoon uh, that's hitting the Philippines affecting you at all? No. No, you're too far no. south. No. Yeah. That's the other thing that gets me about the Pacific, Dave. It's so big, it kind of freaks me out. Well, it is big. I mean, it is. You got no idea how big big is until you go sit in the middle of that ocean. So, I tell you, you know, one cool thing sailing down here from Tonga. Um, I stopped in a place called Minerva Reef. Uh, now, Minerva Reef is in the middle of nowhere, and it is a coral atoll that is subsurface. It's just the other. But you sail along, you can sail into the atoll, you can sail inside this reef and anchor there. Well, it's like anchoring in the middle of the ocean. Whoa. You come up, you go on the outside of the reef, it's, uh, oh, uh, you know, uh, five miles deep. And then, whoop, literally, in the, in the distance of about 50 yards, it goes to nothing where the edge of the reef is. You can sail inside of it and anchor in uh, 30 feet of water. How, how do you, is it, are there markers? How do you know how to sail into it? Or just visual? No, no markers. No. Just, yeah, just visual. Hmm. Um, and I did it, actually, I did it on a full moon. Uh, I sailed down from Tonga. It was almost full moon. I did it on a full moon at 1 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> uh, it was really very cool. It was uh, pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, there you are, in the, you know, at anchor in uh, 30 feet of water in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's, it's kind of spooky, really. It's pretty spooky. Yeah. Wow. You may not know this, Derv, but um, a similar experience happened to one of the Volvo Around the World racers. Uh, oh, I do know that. Yeah. I, uh, I was actually talking to uh, a, a rigger guy here uh, yesterday. Uh, who was, uh, this is the first Volvo race that he hasn't participated in, and, you know, he knew the people, and we were talking about that, yeah. Yeah, who uh, were sailing at night and didn't realize that they ran into one of those similar almost islands. And, again, that's what I think when I hear about that reef. I think of people running into it in the night and, and their bones being at the bottom of it, basically. It's a, a bad thing for a sailor in a lot of ways. But, yeah, well, a little... It, uh... It is interesting with, uh, you know, you sit in a place like that. It, it, a lot of these uh, uh, places where I've been, it's, um, you see on the chart, you know, uh, reported to be 25 miles south-southeast of charted position. Oh, great. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Eleva also elevation measured in inches some places, isn't it? <laughs> and that's a negative number sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, good luck with that, Captain. Like I said, Pacific kind of freaks me out a little bit. So, um, I'm glad for your I'm glad for your spirit of of uh, discovery and and uh, voyage and hopefully. Well, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I'd highly recommend it to anybody that's crazy enough to do it. Nice, great. We look forward to you uh, sending some pictures for us to put on the website. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll send up. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll put some uh, pictures up for you for sure. Great. Are I you sent you that. I sent you that picture of the tanker. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, good. I haven't seen that one. But, yeah, that's a good story right there. Talk about something I wouldn't think about when you're going through the canal, but something <laughs> that you become quickly aware of. Very quickly. It's, uh, you know, those, those 
uh, tanker vessels are the width of the canal. So as the boat moves forward, it, it shoves all that water forward with it. And uh, so you get, uh, you're, you're coming down into the Pacific, you're in front of them. And so the tendency, of course, is to just push her right up against the, the lock. And some little boats uh, get pushed right sideways and I'm sure get the feeling they're about to go over the, over the wall. Yeesh. Yeah. <laughs> Quite scary. Yeah. So, very good, Derv. It's been good talking to you. We're, uh, yeah, yeah. We'll have to uh, do this again in the future. Maybe when you're in yeah. Fi- maybe when you're in Fiji, we can give it another call. Sure, sure, Great. love to, love to. So uh, take care and uh, say hi to everybody back there. And uh, I, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know what to say about your weather, but uh, better you than me at this point. I, <laughs> I think there's a couple people stealing a dream off you this morning, Dave. <laughs> Be right. silly not well, to, really. Safe. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. All right. Travel right. safely. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Go back to sleep, right. Derv. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Oh, that was pretty cool. Four o'clock uh, in the morning tomorrow. Yeah. And we talked uh, earlier when this first uh, possibility came up about Skyping, and that wasn't much of a possibility for us, let alone the radio station or Dave. But, yeah. uh, again, uh, what a miracle of communication, let alone it's a small world and uh, quite a wacky, uh, not wacky, but just a wonderful world, uh, you know, and, and getting out and seeing it is quite something. I'm eating so, my breakfast now. Yeah, that's all right. We are still doing boat talk this morning, and uh, we got about ten odd minutes left, more or less. Uh, and we uh, have still yet to talk about this uh, uh, book in any uh, uh, depth. Uh, highly, highly recommended. Uh, uh, best thing I've read in, in uh, quite a while. You can't stop uh, basically when they get their ship crushed in the ice and have to retreat to Siberia. Uh, it's it's uh, just unbelievable the things that these men go through in the kingdom of ice the grand and terrible polar voyage of the uss Jeanette. um briefly in uh the late uh, 1770s uh, nobody had been up to the north pole yet uh some theories were that uh it was a warm open polar sea with a vent to the middle of the earth and there's going to be fantastic creatures there maybe a lost civilization who knows what's happening up there if you could just get past the belt of ice yeah and everybody tries to go up the west coast to Greenland, and the same thing happens to them every time. Never works. Get stuck. And another fellow comes up with the idea that there's a warm current off of Japan, and maybe you could ride that up through the Bering Sea. It would be your thermometric gate. That's what they called it. Yes, to the uh, and that term died with these fellows after they were uh, what 23 months, I think, frozen into the Bering Sea. Didn't get all that far north before they were frozen in. Very well supplied. Lived very happily for 23-odd months until well, the boat got crushed one night. Yeah. Yeah, they were doing all right living off of what animals they could find and well prepared. They did discover um, lead poisoning. Remember the problem of the Franklin crew did, uh, suffered from lead poisoning. And the, the doctor on this one figured out that there was the acid in the tomato, cans of canned tomato that was uh, leaching the lead out. So they had to throw away all their tomatoes. They also, let's tomatoes. think about it, lived on this uh, little boat for 23 months, uh, frozen in the ice. They had people problems, too, which uh, and they tried hard not to. One of they them were, was clearly defective. Uh, one of the fellows, a Navy officer, had formerly had syphilis, and uh, yeah. I guess that don't quite go away, and uh, he ended up his eyeball uh, festered and went blind, and mm-hmm. and uh, his behavior got a little erratic. There was another fellow, I think he was the uh, fellow sent by the correspondent, mind you, we got to back up, this whole thing was paid for 
by uh, uh, James Bennett from the New York Herald. And Bennett had sent Stanley to find Livingston to make a story. And it was one of the best things his newspaper had done. This was just a year or two before this. And the idea of uh, uh, getting these people stuck up in the ice and possibly having to rescue them and what could they – he paid for the whole thing. Yeah, he paid, paid for the U.S. Navy. Sure and his check was – and he was good on everything they needed, right, to – but he was quite a character, too. He was known for uh, driving his coach at high speed, <sighs> naked in the night in New York. Yeah. Peeing in his fiancé's uh, uh, grand piano. That's at, at the piano. Yeah, you know, so uh, he was a bad boy. But uh, it's a heck of a story, too. So these fellows got uh, uh, their boat crushed in the ice. Now, they had rehearsed what to do. This was not unexpected. And they have stores, and they have small boats, and, and they are going to drag these boats across the ice to northern Siberia. They had dogs to help drag, too. Yeah. And uh, no big deal. they got a couple of Inuits. They'll hunt, and they'll kill whatever they can. But they're dragging literally tons of supplies, tons, in these three boats. And the ice is not smooth. It's all fantastically jumbled oh. up. Um, you can't uh, uh, literally got to hack your way through it, and then you're in a puddle, and then you're in a lake, and, and then you're facing uh, crevasses and mountains of ice. They were wet all the time, too. Wet all the time, multiple trips to uh, – uh, you couldn't just cover one mile. You had to cover that mile like five times to ferry stuff, and uh, it was hard going. Here's a little uh, taste of it right here, literally, uh, from uh, the book In the Kingdom of Ice, Hampton Sides. While aboard the Jeanette, the men had never been in want of food for two years. They'd always had plenty of it and enough of variety in their diet to keep them satisfied. But now on the ice, their diet was essentially reduced to two staples. There was Liebig's beef extract, which they sipped as a warm broth like consomme, and there was pemmican, a substance, uh, a substantial mixture of dried meat, mashed berries, and animal tallow that had sustained many an exploring expedition over the decades. Pemmican was hardy, nutritious stuff that kept for years, weighed little, stored easily, and rarely went off. But it was boring, boring, boring. And uh, it was noticed how it had become fish, flesh, and fowl to us. It had a sticky, salty gameness that was nauseating. It stuck to the roof of the mouth and glazed over the teeth and tongues. It radiated sour, deceptive fumes from the stomach, clung to their hands and fingers. It was everywhere. On them and in them, they had become walking pemmican. And then, too, and there was no way to put this delicately, pemmican corked them up. It lingered in the system like cement and strained the nether regions. Comparative scatology became conversation point around camp stones, uh, camp stoves. Beyond their drab diet, uh, the men suffered a problem even more irksome, constant wetness. As the Arctic world slowly melted with summer's advance, the men found they could never get dry. Their skin, clammy and wrinkled, sloughed off in layers. Their sleeping bags became like pulp. Water and sludge spurted from their boots with every shambling step. The rawhide soles, said Melville, became so soft they took on the consistency of fresh tripe. When they tried to sleep, the heat of their own bodies would melt the mushy, mushy snow beneath their rubber blankets, and soon they would be lying in puddles of cold water. Dr. Ambler wrote that sleeping in wet clothes in a wet bag on wet ice makes every bone and separate muscle ache in the morning. Today I've not been able to draw a breath without pain. Sounds like fun. Let's go. Hard, uh, hard sledding. Now, they get um, uh, across... Uh, 
they not only have uh, started dragging these boats north, but they have uh, to keep track of their position. And uh, as they drag the boats south trying to find Siberia, which they have only the roughest maps of, um, the first going, the captain checks his uh, uh, sextant and... Couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. And they're going north. They're making progress they're south headed, on foot. Walking south and going north. But the ice is drifting north faster. <laughs> and the furthest north they got was trying to walk south to save themselves. And, and again, they couldn't tell the boys for a while. They found an island or two um, in the ice there and finally come to open water. And then things got worse because uh, now they had to sail in gales through ice chunk seas to find northern Siberia where there's nobody. And even when they landed, the nearest uh, telegraph's 3,000 miles away. So anyway, uh, they did actually land in northern Siberia. We're running out of time here. I'm not going to uh, be able to uh, read you the part about the boat voyage here, but uh, our friend Herbert Leach, uh, ordinary seaman, he was in the uh, one of the boats that survived with Melville, the engineer. and. Uh, uh, Herbert's uh, uh, conditions were just what we described there, you know, and uh, his, uh, you know, bones started poking out the end of his uh, toes there. And uh, so anyway, they rescue, uh, rescued on shore by some natives and uh, found some convicts to uh, get him in touch with the local authorities, and Herbert writes a letter home to his mother in Penobscot, Maine. I'd like to share that, hopefully, a uh, last thing in the end of the thing here, if they don't pipe us out. My dear mother, we laid in the ice until our ship was taken from us, and then our hardships began. We encountered a heavy gale, which nearly put an end to our suffering. My feet were frozen stiff, and my legs were chilled to my body so badly, I think they could have been taken off without my feeling it. When we got ashore, I was in a tight fix. I could not walk and was in much pain. My feet began to putrefy. Bartlett, one of the men, took a knife and cut out the corrupt places and took off one of my great toes, leaving the bone out of the end. It troubles me to walk now, Mother, but I think that it will for some time, and I'll make myself as agreeable as possible. The life is not altogether crushed out of me. Oh, Mother, you have no idea what we went through. When it looks back, it seems more of a strange dream than a reality. And uh, your loving son, Herbert. Herbert was the last survivor of that crew. Died in 1933 and uh, worked in a shoe factory in Massachusetts. Gave... gave uh, lectures about the thing until his death and uh, we'll have more about that in the future in Boat Talk because we just run out of time. We are against the wall. Time to make room for Rich Hill Singer and On the Wing coming up next here on Community Radio. WERU-FM Blue Hill 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor and on the internet at WERU.org. Support for WERU comes from Gamble and Hunter Sailmakers, making sales for classic boats, cruising boats,